It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Rackman Review. I'm Ben Hall, Europe Editor, and I'm filling in for Gideon Rackman, who's away on leave. In this week's podcast, we are talking about Italy and how the arrival of Mario Draghi as Prime Minister is seen as a make-or-break moment for the country and for the EU. My guest is Enrico Letta, who was Prime Minister of Italy from 2013 to 2014, leading a coalition government of centre-right and centre-left. He is now Dean of the Paris School of International Affairs at Sciences Po in France. A huge amount is now riding on Mario Draghi, but will he be able to live up to the expectations? As president of the European Central Bank from 2011 to 2019, Mario Draghi is credited with saving the euro during the sovereign debt crisis. He overcame resistance from economic hawks in Berlin and other capitals to adopt the kind of activist monetary policy embraced by other central banks. One now famous phrase in a speech in London in July 2012 convinced financial markets that the ECB would stop at nothing to keep the single currency intact. Today is that within our mandate, within our mandate, the ECB is ready to do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. And believe me, it will be enough. Hopes are now rising that Draghi can work similar magic in Italy. The country has the highest death toll in the EU from the pandemic, and infections are rising sharply once again. Doctors are warning that hospitals here and elsewhere in Italy, particularly in the south, are being overwhelmed as authorities battle to tackle a second wave of the virus. A nationwide overnight- Per capita GDP is still below the level at the turn of the millennium. Italy has lost two decades. The country has also been plagued by political instability, with mainstream parties losing ground to populist and Eurosceptic forces. Its cacophonous politics have produced ineffective and incoherent governments. A coalition between the Nationalist League and the anti-establishment Five Star was particularly chaotic until it imploded in 2019. He's nicknamed Il Capitano, the captain. And in Rome this afternoon, Matteo Salvini's supporters were cheering him for deliberately steering Italy's government onto the rocks. And this is his victim. Giuseppe Conte, the Prime Minister. A second, more pro-European coalition led by Giuseppe Conte, a law professor, collapsed last month. But Italy now has a remarkable opportunity to bounce back. Its borrowing costs are being kept incredibly low by the ECB. Moreover, it is the biggest beneficiary of the EU's recovery fund and will receive up to €200 billion in grants and loans over the next few years. A lot rides on Italy's success, If the money is frittered away, the whole idea of European solidarity will be discredited and doubts about whether it can survive long-term inside the single currency will return. Draghi was brought out of retirement last month with one overriding aim, to spend the money well to boost productivity and growth. I started by asking Enrico Letta about Italy's tradition of appointing technocrats at moments of political crisis. 
Italy has a system where the president of the republic plays an important role in the period of crisis. So when the president of the republic is the only engine to have a restart of the system, usually he tries to have a technocratic government. It's the only way to uh, allow political parties to start again the debate, the discussion, and at the same time to have a government in place. This is typical in the last 30 years. We had four technocratic prime ministers, and at the end of the day, it worked. Is there something innately wrong with Italy's party political culture that demands the introduction of an outside figure to take difficult decisions that traditional parties are reluctant to make themselves? I think it's part of the problem. It is part because of that. But I think also it is part because of many transitions we experienced in the last 30 years. In the 90s, we had the introduction of new parties like Berlusconi's party or Olive Tree Coalition and other new parties. And the same now after the financial crisis. So the race of populism and and when you have populism, it's very difficult to work in a normal or traditional parliamentarian way. This is why I think the most complicated thing in this present legislature is the number of members of parliament changing party. That is, of course, not good. It is a sort of political virus uh, within our system. And the fact that also there's a big discontinuity Parties getting 25% from zero or party going from 40 to 18%. And this is also because of the very tough economic recession six, seven, eight years ago. And the consequences are now on, on populism and on the political system. So it's a consequence of the sort of process of political decomposition and recomposition. It's a sort of a passing phenomenon, a temporary phenomenon that needs to be sort of rebooted periodically. Is is that how it is? I think it is something like that. But I think also in the last four or five years, we were also at the centre of a word changing of politics. Because I'm sure that Italian populism was also there because of Trump, because of uh, Brexit, because of the idea that uh, being alone was better, or the idea that... Uh, the way in which Trump invented new political uh, categories was a, a winning one. But now we are entering a new phase, and this is why maybe the need of a new uh, change, a sort of pit stop of parties, and Draghi is, is allowing this pit stop for political parties. And how would you judge the success of the technocratic prime ministers that have held office already? So. Carlo Sellio Ciampi in uh, 93 to 94, and then Mario Monti from 2011 to 2013. What was their legacy? Did they achieve the things that they set out to achieve? Of course, two completely different periods with one continuity. The continuity was the need to take under control the deficit and the debt. That was the main problem, both in, in 93 and in 2011. And they succeeded. Of course, these technocratic governments were linked to a different European phase, a phase in which austerity measures were the core of European policies. That is not the case today. 
where is more on solidarity. And this is why Draghi's uh, attempt, I think, uh, can't be considered as a sort of continuity with Ciampi or Monti. I think it's a completely different story, more political story. It is not by chance that uh, Draghi has in his own government many leaders, political leaders coming from different parties or having a large majority in parliament. So we can establish a sort of parallel among these different technocratic examples, but today it's a different situation. Uh, Mario Monti's government was composed entirely of technocrats, of non-politicians. But I mean, perhaps Italians don't look back at his tenure particularly fondly. It was a very, very difficult time. He did obviously stabilise the economy and prevented Italy from being kicked out of financial markets, preserved Italy's market access, I suppose. But it did feel like a, a, a moment when his main job was to impose the pain of austerity and arguably... Well, there are people who think that that period sowed the seeds for the anti-establishment populist kind of politics that Italy now grapples with. Yes, I think Mario Monti did a good job at that time. The key point was the European framework that pushed Italy, him, government, political forces to work in the direction of austerity measures. Monti's government uh, did what the European Union was doing at that time, and the Italian parliament, with the right parties or left parties, they voted in favor uh, of these measures because it was at that time the only way to save the country and to avoid a sort of Greek exit. Today, I know there's a different uh, view uh, on this period, but... Uh, what is completely true, it is the fact that there's a change in the European political approach. Today, there's more solidarity. Ten years ago, there was more responsibility. You know, I think Europe is both responsibility and solidarity. But if you have just one, it's very complicated to have consensus or to have empathy with people, citizens. And that was exactly what happened. Ten years ago, and during Monti, even my government and and the last years. Today, we are in a completely different situation for many reasons, because Germany changed, because the UK is no more there, because the pandemic needed to have a strong solidarity response. So for Draghi's government, uh, is the first time in Italy that a government has the possibility to spend money. As you say, the economic backdrop is vastly different now. And rather than tough austerity, Italy has been able to borrow billions of euros very cheaply um, to help it uh, through the pandemic, thanks to intervention from the European Central Bank. And now we have the next generation EU, or what we call the EU's recovery fund. I wonder whether this political reset has been possible because there is money to spend rather than money to save. I mean, in some ways, it's a paradox, isn't it? You want to bring in an outsider to do austerity, not bring in an outsider to spend money. Yes, it is true. But it is also true that Italy is not used to spend money. I know it is counterintuitive because people are thinking the opposite. But it is not like that. It's 30 years that Italy is doing sacrifices. It is since the beginning of the 90s that Italy is a country with uh, surplus, uh, with uh, deficit under control, and uh, we are very good in managing the debt. That can be, I think, a good uh, uh, lesson for other countries today with higher debt at the European level. 
that we weren't good for investments because we didn't have money in the last 30 years. It is very important to know that the Italian debt history is with a black hole in the 80s. That was the period where the debt arise until 120%, from 40%. It was 40% mid-70s. Then this disaster in the 80s, and this is why in the last 30 years we weren't able to spend because we didn't have money to spend. This is why today the key point is to have someone, and Draghi is the one, who is able to help country and with a good uh, cooperation between public and private in investing. Investing means long-term investments, not only easy expenditures for now, but long-term investments on the pillars of the countries so or research, training, schools, innovation, digitalization, uh, sustainability. And I think this is the most important mission for Mario Draghi today. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity to use EU money to finance productive investments, essentially to buy faster growth. Why do we think that Mario Draghi as Prime Minister will be any better at using that money than his predecessor, Giuseppe Conte? Well, I think Conte did a good job in the situation in which he worked. The big problem of Conte was the lack of a majority. And for this kind of once-in-a-generation mission, you need to have a large majority. This is why I think Draghi today can be the one who uh, succeeds in this mission, because he has a large majority, and I think he has also the credibility to oblige parties to behave. At the same time, he's someone who is not populistic, he's not a technocrat, but he's someone who respects parties and the parliament. At the very beginning, in his presentation at the Chamber of Deputies, he was very clear in saying that I respect parliament. And the fact that he wanted to have a government with politicians and technocrats together, it is the demonstration of his approach, and I think it is the correct one today. But the ministries that will be responsible for spending this money are actually being run by technocrats, which presumably suggests that Mr Draghi is going to keep a very firm grip himself on this process and that he's doing it through trusted appointees. I think that will be the big challenge, how to have technocrats and politicians working together under the leadership of Draghi and trying to find together the good balance. I think it is a good mix because I don't think a government only with technocrats would have been the right solution today. Uh, there's uh, a sort of earthquake in the Italian political uh, electorate, the voters, and uh, they, they are in a situation in which a good mix between politicians and, and technocrats can be the correct mix, and, and the technocrats that uh, Draghi appointed are, are very good, but at the same time, politicians who are there are very experienced and, and politicians well representing their own parties. This isn't just about spending money. There are supposed to be structural economic reforms to go hand in hand with recovery fund money. What should Draghi do? What can Draghi do to actually make the Italian economy grow faster? I think it is very important to work to adjust 
the state and the regions, so the public service, that is for the country, I think the main challenge. When I say the public administration, the public service, I mean there are many functions. First of all, justice. It is one of the key problems of the country. The problem of the digitalization of the system. I think the choice of Vittorio Colau, who was the big boss of Vodafone for years and years, as minister for digital transformation, I think is a perfect choice. So digitalization is the other key point. And of course, the ecological transition, the sustainability priorities are the other. You know, Italy is a country where it is not easy to have sustainable transports at local level because our cities are very old cities and it's not easy to work there. But the revolution of public transports and how to make this public transport sustainable is the other main uh, issue. I think there will be also the need to have big reforms in the innovation research field. You know, the big problem of Draghi is the high level of expectation. We are having now a very high level of expectation because of the level of the team because of his reputation and the fact that people are expecting the miracle. It's always very difficult when people are expecting miracle to deliver miracle. Mario Draghi is obviously a, a very accomplished technocrat with very astute political skills, which he acquired, no doubt, at the head of the Treasury, Italian Treasury, and then at the Bank of Italy. And then, of course, at the European Central Bank, not least where he persuaded Germany's Angela Merkel to back him in terms of his unconventional monetary policy in the face of strong resistance from the sort of German economic establishment. But still, this is unfamiliar territory for him. He's going to have to negotiate with Italian political parties constantly about his reforms. How much leeway do you think he really has? Some of the issues are still going to be very contentious. For example, justice reform is likely to be very controversial politically. Can he manage these political tensions within this vast coalition? It is not easy, but at the same time, he has an enormous consensus in the country and he has also the support of the President of the Republic that is in Italy in the moment of transition, like the one in which we are living today. It's a crucial institution. So I think he has the skills and the framework is the right one. Uh, of course, the key point is related to also successes in the fight to pandemic. Because I think people today, of course, we are all uh, with a pandemic fatigue. This is why good results on the vaccination plan, in reducing contagions, and in trying to have a good management of this pandemic period can help him also in convincing parties and people that reforms are the good track. So I think these two aspects will work together. And uh, this is why Draghi needs also a sort of change at European level after this little bit difficult moment with the vaccine and with the vaccination campaign at European level. Now we need to succeed on vaccine. And we need to succeed because otherwise the approach of the people will be a, a very negative one and the consensus can be transformed very, very quick in fatigue, even in political fatigue. I see this point, the point of vaccine and how to manage pandemic today as a crucial boost 
for reforms in other fields. And what influence do you think he will have in terms of the debate in the EU about sort of reframing fiscal policy? After all, he rebooted uh, monetary policy at the ECB. Do you think he will play a pivotal role in updating the EU's fiscal rules in a way that doesn't condemn countries to sort of painful pro-cyclical austerity in the years ahead? You know, he is there in a crucial moment, and the crucial moment is the rewriting of the stability pact at the European level. And I think he will play a role because of his previous role at the ECB, but also because we need creativity. I think we are all aware that it's impossible just to continue with the old pact. We have to reinvent a pact. And the pact has to be not only a financial stability pact, you have to put there sustainability in terms of green, social. And I think he is someone who can bring his own experience, experience, of course, at the bank, but also his own thoughts. He's a very pro-European man. So I think he can be crucial in this very moment for France, Germany, for the Commission, for the rest of Europe. He may not be in office for very long, especially if he's tempted to run for the presidency next year when uh, Sergio Mattarella's term in office comes to an end. Would that be a bad thing for Italy if he left the premiership and went to the presidency so soon? I think this is a crucial point. January next year is a crossroad for the Italian political system. So yes, you're right. It's a unwritten story there. And we need to understand what will be the best way to avoid to give too short time to Draghi. Uh, and I think uh, this point is in the mind, in all the mind of political leaders. And I'm sure that the president of the Republic, who is a very wise man, will find the right solution at that time. So that would mean possibly Mattarella staying on a little longer as president and then handing over in 2023? Why not? But it's too, it's, I think it's too early to say and uh, we need not to push him. I think he has to take his own decisions. And to what extent is this a sort of reset moment that will change the course of Italian politics in the years ahead? On the face of it, it looks like a strong reaffirmation of Italy's post-war commitment to European integration and traditional Atlanticism. And Salvini's Eurosceptic League has rallied to the man credited with saving the euro. And the euro, of course, was something Salvini once described as a crime against humanity. And Five Star, the biggest party in Parliament after the last election, has hemorrhaged support and its anti-establishment diehards have split away. Meanwhile, you've got the far-right Brothers of Italy party led by Giorgia Maloney, which has stayed in opposition and seems to be doing rather well. So Could we still imagine a Eurosceptic party in power at the next elections during 2023? We may just end up with another Eurosceptic right-wing government in power, no? Uh, You know, I think we had in 18 elections, and these elections pushed the parliament towards the most Eurosceptic situation ever in Italy, with one party on the right and another party maybe on the left, uh, five stars, and Lega Nord, Lega Nord on the right, five stars on the left. But now what is happening, it's a miracle because Draghi is pushing Lega Nord to start thinking to be a member of the EPP. And on the other side, five stars are 
seriously discussing among them to be part of socialists and democrats. That means that Italy will be finally with all his own parties within the true pro-European political families at the European level. That is a good news for Europe, and I think that is a good news for Italy. Mario Draghi's arrival in power has been seen as a sort of make-or-break moment for Italy, and given Italy's size and importance in the Eurozone and in the EU, a make-or-break moment for the EU itself. Do you agree with that? I think it's a, it's a fundamental, it's a crucial moment in a year in which Italy leads the G20. And Draghi will be the one who will host the first meeting between Biden and Xi Jinping this year. I think it's an opportunity for Italy and is a good opportunity also for Europe because Draghi is the champion of Europeanism, of multilateralism. That will help Italy. I think that will help Europe too. And what's the biggest threat to this Draghi premiership in your view? Vaccine pandemic. I think uh, he has to succeed there. Otherwise, all the rest will be more difficult. Enrico Letta, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Enrico Letta, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. I will be back for another episode later this month, but you can tune in next week to another of my able colleagues filling in for Gideon. I hope you'll keep listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you could tell a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find the Rackman Review in all the usual podcast apps. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.